Well, it's warm, but praise the Lord for some wind, right? Fighting the umbrellas. Anybody fighting umbrellas right now? Yeah, it's good. It is... Um, I wanted this morning to take a, uh, a break from Genesis. I know we've been going so fast through Genesis. I know it's hard to take a break when we just been lightning speed, but I thought, you know, we could take a second to, to take a break from uh, diving into Genesis and just wanted to take some time this morning to remind us of our, uh, our vision statement. So uh, if you're new here, maybe you've not even heard our vision statement yet and Actually, uh, uh, hey, Pastor Bob, before you head out, I forgot I was going to grab uh, the little cards, vision cards from the office. So if you could grab some of those and bring them out. And not that everybody's going to need one, but we might want them afterwards. So thank you. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to remind us of our visions. If you're new to our church, maybe you don't even know what our vision statement is. And we certainly have some new people in the last year or so. Uh, but our vision statement is actually still relatively new to us as a church. And in January of 2020 is when we kind of officially launched it and began uh, uh, kind of trying to dive into that. And so that was only just a little over a year, year and a half ago now, uh, that we first really kind of started pushing into this. Uh, and then, of course, uh, just a couple of months after we released the new vision statement, of course, COVID hit. And so that made uh, this year a little bit different than what we kind of were expecting. Uh, we had a uh, couple of things that we were going to do to kind of uh, go along with the vision statement, a couple of new ministries we were going to try out, and that didn't happen. And so we are now kind of beginning to have those conversations and looking at potentially doing that in the fall. And uh, hopefully by then, you know, COVID is not much of an issue anymore, and we can just move on past that. And, and, and enter into some of these other ministries that we had uh, thought about starting a year ago, but weren't able to. Uh, but before we do that, and again, it just I think it's important for us to be reminded of our vision over and over again, uh, because a vision statement is not just uh, something that you stick on the wall. A vision statement is meant to be something that we all understand. It's a common language that we all understand, and we understand what the words mean in that, in that vision statement, and that it's meant to be something that we then live into, that it's not just words, but it's actually a lifestyle, uh, how we live it out. And so uh, this morning, I want to just, you know, take a little bit. I've preached some messages. Actually, I did a couple of series already on our vision sta statement. Uh, if you'd like to go back in the archives on our YouTube, I think they're still there. Uh, back, uh, back certainly in January of 2020, I did four messages on our vision statement. So you could go back and look at those if you want more detail on some of the things. Uh, but I'm going to kind of focus on one aspect of our vision this morning, and then uh, uh, we'll just kind of see what, where that leads us. Uh, so first of all, our vision statement. If you don't know what it is, I'll read it to you here. We are fully enjoying, Trinity Alliance Church is fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard me use that word a lot, enjoying. It's a key word, and actually that's going to be my focus of my message today. But enjoying is an important piece. We are, going to, we, are, we are a group of people that are fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the direction. That's the life that we want to live, is a life that is fully enjoying this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. There are three areas, if you will, of life that we can enjoy that relationship. Those three areas, generally speaking, are, in first of all, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer. Second, in journeying in life with our church family in honesty and humility. Third, engaging our neighbor with God's love in authentic and caring relationships. 
So this is our vision statement. Again, I've preached in the past uh, all four of those statements. So you want more information, go back and look at that. Today, I want to kind of look at the foundational, uh, kind of some of the foundational perspectives of this vision, because this vision statement is actually something that God began to work in me. Oh boy, probably about seven or eight years ago. About that time is when I was a youth pastor, had been a youth pastor for almost 20 years at that time and was enjoying being a youth pastor. I thought this was my life. This is what I was going to do. Uh, I love kids, love teenagers, still do today. And, uh, and so I just kind of thought that that was going to be my world. And then God interrupted and he kind of disrupted my world and started to say, hey, you know, I want you to consider being a lead pastor. And I laughed at him. You know, he was like one of those things, you know, kind of, yeah, all right, God, yeah, you're funny. Yeah, I'm, uh, no, that's not happening. And anyway, but he continued to be persistent with me. And I remember there was a point where I finally kind of accepted the fact that God indeed was calling to me to be a lead pastor. And, uh, and so I had this conversation with him, basically said, and I do this, I don't know if you guys do this, I hope you do, but because God is conversational, right? He loves to talk to us. He loves for us to be real with him. And so I kind of just sat God down and said, all right, God, you want me to be a lead pastor? That's fine. But I need two things from you said, first of all, and God, he's so gracious to us, right? I mean, he's like, lets me ask these things. And then he actually fulfills it. It's amazing. I said, first of all, I says, I got a passion for youth, but I really don't like adults. So, <laughs> so you got to give me a passion and a heart for adults, right? You know, and so that's the first thing. And then second of all, I said, uh, you need to give me a vision. I, I know how to run a youth ministry. I know what that takes. I've got a vision of what that looks like and how to do that, how to communicate that, how to interact with the kids, how to inter interact with my staff. But I have no idea how to lead like a whole church. What's a vision for the whole church? I've got a vision for a, a, a a ministry within the church, but I don't have a vision for the whole church. And, uh, and so literally over the next uh, few years, God began to give me that passion and that heart for all of the church, not just the youth. And he also, unbelievable, I could not believe how he began to create in me or give me and reveal this vision to me that now in, in large part is communicated within the vision statement of our church here today. And so that's some background. So what is uh, you know, what is the foundational perspective that I want us to look at? I want us to understand where this vision came from and what God has been doing in me again to over the last seven years that has led to this statement that we have. So it starts with this uh, perspective, a Christian perspective of now, but not yet. Uh, how many of you have heard that statement before? It's a Christian kind of, you know, philosophy or perspective of now, but not yet. And the idea is that as Christians, we are in this tension where the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we receive salvation, receive all of salvation, all that there is for us. Uh, we receive that reconciliation and redemption. We receive, you know, eternity. We receive it all now, but there's this tension that even though we have it now, we're not fully experiencing that salvation, right? And so there's this now, but not yet. We have it, but we're not fully enjoying it. We're not fully experiencing it yet. And so, uh, and so this is a, a very a biblical perspective that we kind of have this understanding. However, in my life, I have come to see that there are too many Christians who are living in the not yet. They're living their lives as a Christian focused on the not yet. That, 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 we're, that, that we're somehow, even though we've bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord, we are still far from God. 
that he is always distant. He's away from me, and so thus I spend my life striving to try to get close to God. That, that some of us believe that, you know, my salvation is not sure. Even though I've said the prayer, even though I've repented of my sins, I feel like my, my salvation is not quite sure. And so we spend our life trying to purchase that salvation. Like somehow we can pay Jesus back for what he did on the cross. Or others of us, maybe we, we have this, still, this feeling that we are still in our sin. And every time we sin, we feel this drastic just a, 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 a push away from God. We feel like we're distant from him again, as if God has turned his back on us, that he's disappointed with us. And so we spend our life striving for righteousness, striving to be perfect. Too many Christians that I know and that I've talked to, and I hear some even I haven't talked to, but I've just heard them talk about their Christian life. And too many are living in the not yet of this statement. But this statement starts with, now. It's, it's now. We have the benefits and the blessings of salvation now. We already have it. Romans 5. I'm going to read this real quick. Romans is a great book. I love Romans. Someday I'm going to preach through Romans. Yeah, it'll probably take me about 10 years, but that's all right. It'll be great. Anyway, Romans 5 is an amazing chapter, and Romans 8 is another one. If you've never read Romans 8, let me just stop and say read Romans 8. The whole thing is amazing. Uh, so good about you know, our salvation and who we are and who God is and all these kind of stuff. But Romans 5, verses 18 and 19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, it's talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, now he's talking about Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we receive the reconciled relationship with God. We become one with him. We have perfect relationship with God today. It is not something that we have to strive for. It's not something we have to achieve. It's not something that we have to try to get. We already have it. We are one with God. He has fully accepted us. He is not keeping his distance from us. Let me encourage you. Have you ever said, I just feel far from God? Have you ever said, I'm just trying to get closer to God? If you've said those things, understand the semantics of that statement are not biblical. We do not have to strive to get closer to God. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not striving so that somehow I can get to the top of the mountain where God's presence is. The Christian life is enjoying what we already have, which is in part the presence of God. We also have perfect redemption. All of our sin has been paid for. Those we did before we repented and those that we have done after we have repented. All of them have been paid for. Sin no longer separates us from God. So even in our sin, it's not like God distances us, distances himself from us. But so often, that is how we talk about it. That's how we feel. 
But that is not true. That's not biblical. It's not what Scripture teaches us. Even in our sin, God is with us. Actually, I read a book just recently that was suggested by several people. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And, and I don't remember the author at the, off the top of my head, but Gentle and Lowly. And in that, one of the greatest images he gave was that in our sin as Christians, we so often think that God leans away from us in our sin, but it's the exact opposite. In our sin, God leans towards us. His heart for us, his love for us, his compassion for us leans towards us in sin because he knows the destructive power of sin. He says, no, I want you with me. We also have at the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, perfect righteousness. This is what Romans 5 is talking about. We are made righteous, not by what we have done, but by what, by what Jesus has done. He is the righteous one, and we receive his credit for his righteous acts. So the life of a Christian is not about the not yet. It's about the now. We must focus and recognize that first and foremost. We must know and come to understand and believe and live as though we have this perfect relationship, this perfect redemption, this perfect righteousness now. The only thing we're missing in the Christian life is the experience or the enjoyment of those things. It's a very different thing to be striving for something we don't have versus enjoying something that we already have. I remember my first car I bought, I was 16. And uh, spent some time looking at a lot of different cars. My dad was going to help out with the financing to make it happen, right? And that was great. And so we went and we found this amazing car. I was like, oh, baby, that's it, right? And it was a black. Oh, yeah, black. S gray sticker on the bottom side of it. Oh, man, black. Olds 442, 1978. Oh, my gosh, it was beautiful. And that thing had power, man. That thing had pipes. Woo! It just rumbled, baby. Everybody knew I was coming. My parents knew I was coming before I got there, five minutes at least. So it was so good, right? It was a great car. But here's the deal. When I bought it, I had never driven it because it was a stick. And I didn't know how to drive a stick yet. I was 16 years old. I'd learned how to use one of those auto, you know, auto cars, right? You know, automatics. But I had never driven a manual before. And so my dad got to drive it. And he's like, oh, yeah, son, I like this car. Anyway, and, but I didn't get to drive it, right? And so I remember after I bought it, like, we, you know, dad's driving it home from the lot. And I'm like, yeah, this is going so good. I'm excited. But I'm like, I'm in the passenger seat. Right? I want to drive this thing. And so he takes me down to this high school parking lot, right? You know, the big parking lots where I could be, learn how to drive the stick. And of course, this is, you know, this isn't, if you learned how to drive a stick, you know, my kids learned how to drive a stick on a Toyota Corolla, right? I mean, like, that's an easy thing. I that little, you know, that little, you know, and there's no problem. And it's not easy, right? But this was one of those old, you know, the older cars. You guys know, right? The older cars, there's, the clutch was heavy. I mean, you got to push that thing down, man, and then you got to find that gear and grind a little bit and in. Yeah, right? It was just amazing. So anyway, it took me a while to learn how to drive the stick. But this is how sometimes we view our relationship with God. We're, it's like the car is still in the parking lot. It's like the car is still at the lot, the, the car lot to be bought. And, and we're spending our life trying to buy the car when the car's already ours, we, you know, what we need to do in our Christian life is not about getting the car. We've got the car. We just got to learn how to drive it. 
We got to learn how to get in there and make that clutch work. We, yeah, we got to spend some time enjoying our purchase. We didn't purchase it though, which is amazing, right? So we got this free car that was given to us. What do we do with it? We don't have to earn it. We don't have to show that you know, we deserve it. We just got to enjoy it. This is the Christian life. And so the question is, how do we now enjoy our salvation? And that leads us to another important concept, relationship versus religion. There's many in the church today that may have some understanding of the now, but yet they are still living with this perspective of religion over relationship. A religious striving for enjoyment. And again, this isn't a big deal. It's, it's about what are we you know, trying to achieve, right? It's striving for spiritual. We have Christians who are striving for a, a spiritual experience. They think this is what the Christian life is about, is having some kind of emotional experience so that I feel saved. Right? We bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, and now we're in. We understand that we're in, but we don't necessarily feel like we're in, and so we're trying to find some kind of experience so that we feel like God is close. Like this song we just said, sang about the Holy Spirit, that we would be aware of his presence. And so we're looking for awareness of his presence through emotions, through experience. Others are striving for theological knowledge. Again, they've stepped in, bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord, and they're now Christians, but they don't understand that Christianity is a relationship, and so they seek to do a religious attack on it instead, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to strive to understand and know exactly who God is. So they spend all their time studying God's word, which is great. It's not a bad thing to do this, but what's, why are we doing it? They're doing it so that they can walk away with a sense that they understand their salvation, that they're convinced that they actually are saved. And then another form of this religious striving is a striving for righteousness. A, a striving for righteous behaviors. So again, we step in, bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. We, we recognize that maybe it's now, we already have righteousness, but we feel like in order to experience it, we have to make it happen. That it's about our discipline. That if I just discipline myself well enough, if I just you know, make sure that I work hard enough, if I just continue to you know, use all the psycho, psychological perspectives and sociological perspectives out there, I grab all of those so that I can understand my head and how my mind works and how my body works so that I can somehow achieve righteousness. Again, this is a religious perspective. Why is it religious? It's because there's nothing in here about relationship. It's all about doing things for God. It's all about experiencing God, but it's not about enjoying him. It's not about having that relationship with him. The Pharisees tried this, and they failed miserably. Consider the Sermon on the Mount, where in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees were the most righteous people in the world. Literally, uh, I even consider Paul, who was perfect according to the law. That's what he says about himself. So these are Pharisees that knew what they were doing. Their outward lives, everything they were doing on the outside was perfect, yet they were failing. Jesus says it wasn't enough. Why? Again, because it's a relationship, not a religion. Relationship is the only thing that will result in us enjoying our salvation. Why? Because salvation is not a thing. Salvation is not a church. Salvation is not just something to obtain. 
Salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a person. And if he's a person, then that means the only way we can enjoy a person is if we come to understand him relationally. That we would spend our life as Christians not striving for these things, not striving, but instead enjoying. Enjoying our relationship with Jesus. And how do you enjoy a relationship with Jesus? Think about what you do with those that you love most. You speak with them. You talk to them. You have a conversation with them. Some of us are really good at this conversation things. We talk a lot. Maybe you know somebody who, you know, you get together and you never have to say anything because they, they just talk the whole time. Now, that's cool and that's okay. And, you know, we're all, you know, different in that way. And some are more talkers than others. But how does that do for the relationship? I mean, we get to know them. But do they get to know us? You see, we're spending all the time sometimes talking, but it's more than that. If we're going to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, if we're going to enjoy salvation, then we not only need to speak, but we need to listen. What is God saying? I, found, I find so few Christians, even this was for me, for many, many, most of my life as a Christian, I, I'd spend all the time talking and very little time listening. We need to shut our mouths, to quiet our minds, and let God speak. We spent some time, just did a message not too long ago in, in regards to Genesis as well, that God is a communicating God. Because he's personal, he's going to communicate. He certainly speaks in his word, but this is not the only way he speaks. However, I would say, how many times do we go to the word and we look at this, not as God's voice to us, not as his words to us, but as a textbook to study. I mean, there's plenty of things we can study in here. We should know it well, but, but how often do we actually go and say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me today? And read scripture that way. Scripture, Hebrews 4.12, right? It's alive and active. It's constantly working. It's because, again, the word, the Bible, is not just a piece of paper. It's Jesus. Jesus is the word. John 1 tells us. It's alive. It's a person. It's active. And so we need to speak in order to develop that relationship. But we also need to listen. And then we also just need to spend time. I know in my life, with even my relationship with my wife, you know, we've been married almost 30 years now. And she now, I mean, her and I, you know, and, and if you've been married a long time, or even if you have a close friend for a long time, you get to that point where you don't have to use words anymore. You actually just enjoy being in the same room together. You actually just enjoy taking in and watching the same sunset together. Right? You, you, you don't have to have words. You don't have to talk about it anymore. Do you do that with, with Jesus? Do you ever just sit with Jesus? Don't say a word. He doesn't have to say a word. You know, sometimes we get frustrated with God because we like go to him, okay, God, I've got this time set aside for you to speak to me now. I'm not gonna talk, so you say, say whatever you gotta say. And then he doesn't say anything. And we get like all ticked off. You know, that, that's okay, right? He just wants to spend time with us. These are the things that if we want to enjoy what we already have, we do that by enjoying our relationship with Jesus. 
Our feelings and our understanding and our actions will follow. They'll change when we spend time with Jesus. When we see the face of Jesus in a quiet time with the Lord, now we have the feeling that comes, the recognition of his presence with us. We feel accepted. When we hear his voice speak, then we know the truth. We know that we're forgiven. And then when we see what Jesus is doing around us and we join him in it, we begin to live out this truth and we become obedient. You see, it's upside down. Our world tells us, focus on the feelings, focus on the truth, focus on the actions, and then you'll have the relationship. No, it's opposite. You focus on the relationship, spending time speaking with him, listening to him, just hanging out with him. And when you do that, and as you do that, he transforms you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, verse 2. We get transformed, we renew our mind, right? It, it happens not by just diving into scripture, not by just forcing it or trying to change our behaviors or knowing all the psychological mumbo jumbo to make it happen. Transformation happens while we spend time with Jesus. But here's the deal, every one of us has a personal relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not a corporate relationship. Certainly there's aspects that are corporate nature, right? We're here together. We're the body of Christ together, certainly. But individually, we all individually have a relationship with Jesus. And because we're each different peoples, our relationship with Jesus is going to be different. Every one of our relationships with Jesus is going to be different. Just like not everyone in this room has the same exact relationship I have with Debbie. Lots of you know her. Lots of you like her probably more than you like me. Lots of you spend time with her, but we do not have the same relationship. So all of us have an individual, a unique and an intimate relationship with God, which can't which can't be uh, brought together by doing things for him. It can't be developed by learning about him. It can't, we can't deepen that understanding and that relationship with him by simply focusing on past experiences we've had with him. And we can't enjoy that relationship through someone else. Like if we just do what someone else did, then that's how we're going to develop our relationship. No, we're unique individuals. We have to do it differently. And we can't connect to Jesus through man-made processes. The way to connect is individually, uniquely, intimate relationship with Jesus. I know I've talked about this a lot, and, and maybe some of you that have been in the church for a while are getting tired of me doing it, but I, that's okay. You know, there's one thing that I, if I want people to get tired of me saying, it's this, that all of us have been called to an intimate love relationship with Jesus, that that is the primary thing that we have to focus on. That's what we have to look for. That's what, if there's any striving that happens, that's the striving. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Who's the kingdom of God? It's Jesus, that we would seek him first, and then everything else comes out of that. 
I've just seen too many Christians in my life, and I've done it myself, where I focused on the outward stuff. I focused on the experiential stuff. I focused on the truth stuff, the theological stuff, thinking that that is somehow going to make me some great Christian, that that is somehow going to make me so that I am happy and content, that somehow God is going to be happy with me because I've done all of those things, because on the outside I look good. But the Pharisees looked really good as well, and their righteousness didn't get them in, so why would it get me in? We need to recognize that it's about the relationship first. Everything starts there. If you're not spending time with Jesus, please start spending time with Jesus. That's how you will change. If you want to experience and enjoy righteousness, if you want to experience, enjoy the feelings of intimacy with God, if you want to experience and enjoy perfection, then dive into relationship with Jesus. Spend time with him. He will change you. So TAC discipleship is not what you'll find in many churches. Many churches today have a layout of exactly how you can disciple somebody. Oftentimes they have curriculum that goes with that, books that they'll hand out that you go, okay, you're going to go through uh, step one of, you know, you know, whether it be navigators or whether it be something else, purpose-driven life, I don't know what it is. There's a lot of different uh, strategies out there. So you come to the church and if you want to get, you know, especially if you're a new believer, what, you know, you know, what do you do? Where do you step? Where do you go? What's the, what's the Bible studies that you've got to do? What's the process of discipleship? Trinity Alliance Church purposefully does not have a process. And the reason is these things. Let me tell you. First of all, TAC distinctives. We are focusing on enjoyment, not achievement. We are not trying to achieve righteousness. We're not trying to achieve presence with God. We're not trying to achieve these things. We're trying to enjoy them. Second, we're seeking to follow Jesus, not someone else. I have said, I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to look at my path, look at the way I did it and follow that. That's how Jesus connected with me. That was the path that I walked. But I'm a unique individual with a unique relationship with Jesus. We all need to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes that means that God's going to bring mentors into our life that we will spend some time with and follow their path for a short period. But it's not just focusing on that one person or any one person. So we follow Jesus, not others. And then finally, another distinctive is that, again, we are unique individuals. And so that we want to look for a unique process of discipleship. We can't give you a discipleship path because everyone is going to be different. And so for us to try to funnel everyone into the same thing, that, it, it just doesn't work. I mean, maybe it does work. It does help. Don't get me wrong. I mean, these other processes are okay. They have their successes. There's some good things that come out of it. But we believe you have a unique relationship with Jesus. I don't want you dependent on me. I don't want you dependent on our process. I want you dependent on Jesus. We have no set experience, no set knowledge, or no set ministry that you need to be involved in in our church. Many churches have a particular ministry. Hey, if you want to go next level in your ministry or in your uh, Christian life, you need to be involved in this ministry or outreach. We've got this outreach. This is our vision. Most vision statements of churches are all about outreach. 
They're all about how we impact the community or getting out into the community. So they say, okay, you want to you you know, have a great impact? You want to be you know, maturing in your faith? Well, you need to be in part of this outreach program. So they funnel everybody into that outreach program. Well, that's great for those who really like that particular or, or have a personality for that particular outreach program. We don't have that here. We have a whole bunch of different outreach programs. Actually, we've got, a, we've got about 200 people that each and every one of them has people in their life that, they don't, that don't know Jesus. And so we want you to follow Jesus into your outreach field, wherever that is. It's not that we don't do ministries in our church. We've got, you know, people that are connected to the Union Gospel, or not the Union, I always say Union Gospel Mission. It's Good News Rescue Mission. <laughs> we've got people connected to the Good News Rescue Mission. Next week, we've got CareNet that's going to come, and they're going to share in our ministry highlight, right? So you can plug into that if you'd like. So we've, it's not that we don't promo those other things, but there's just nothing that we as a church say, you have to do this because this is the next step. Jesus is the one that tells you what the next step is. All right, where's the team? Why don't you come up? I've just got a couple more things to say here in closing, and, uh, and we'll move on from there. So what is the process? What is the process? What are we calling people to? On our vision cards, we uh, created uh, these little, uh, you know, kind of cards, you know, for business cards almost, right? And on the front is the vision statement. On the back are three questions. And this is what we ask our church to do. If you want to engage in this vision statement, this is what we are doing together. How are we going to enjoy, fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus? We're going to fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus by asking these three questions. God, how are you calling me to rely more fully on you? What is he calling you to do? What does he want you to do? What spiritual disciplines does he want you to get involved in? You know, and I'll just say this. A lot of times we as Christians who've been a Christian a long time, we get, uh, you know, spiritual disciplines that work for us. We kind of have our morning routine, if you will. And that's great. No, I'm not saying this is not all wrong. But have we ever asked the question, God, do we still, should I still be doing these routines? Maybe the reason that sometimes our routines become quote unquote dry is because God is calling us to do something different, but we're not listening. We're not even asking the question. You know, this has worked for me for a couple of decades. So, you know, I just, yeah, this is what I do. So we want to ask Jesus, what are you calling me? How are you calling me to rely more fully on you? Jesus, how are you calling me to journey more fully with my church family? What ministries do you want me to plug into there? Who are the people that you want me to engage with, to develop relationships with in the church? And then the third question is, Jesus, how can I engage? Who are you calling me to engage in in our community? And the neighbors that are around us, maybe across the street, or maybe somebody I'm working with, or maybe it's somebody down in the street, or maybe it's somebody across the globe. Who do you want me to connect with, to share your love with, that doesn't know you? These are the questions that we encourage our members, those who call this place their home church, to ask regularly, certainly at the beginning of the year. But here I'm preaching about it halfway through the year, so let's do it again. God, what do you have for me today? Let's ask him the question. So we ask Jesus, but then we trust Jesus. Because the hard part is sometimes he asks us to do things that are like, ah, I don't think I can do that. I just want you to fast for the next week. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're so funny. I'm not fasting for the next week. There's no way I can do that. But we trust Jesus. 
If he's called us to it, he will empower us to do it because it's not about our effort. Most of the time, we as Christians think that we can only do the things that we can do. Like if we can have a vision, like I can see myself doing it, then okay, I will do that. But if it's beyond our vision, if it's beyond what we think we're capable of, then we're like, no, God's definitely not calling me there. If Jesus is calling you to do something outside of your comfort zone, trust him and step out. And then finally, we praise Jesus. He gets all the glory. I am so tired, maybe you are too, of Christians who think they're very, very holy. Because <laughs> their life is all together. Oh boy, on the outside, they look really good. Oh, they speak the right words all the time. Oh yeah, they've got a great prayer life. They've got all, and, and again, these, it's not that these are not signs of potential maturity. Fly, get away. Uh, and potential maturity. But if it's leading to arrogance, it's probably not what God wants. But when we understand when we stop striving, we stop thinking that we have to achieve it, make it happen, and then just dive into relationship and trust him, and then it starts to happen, like after you know, 35 of my year, years of my life trying to read through the Bible in a year, could never do it, always failed, 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 finally God did it, and I'm like, oh, okay, God did it, and so he gets the glory. Now I don't, go, I don't go around, hey, look at me, how holy I am. I look, hey, look how great Jesus is. I can't believe that I'm a lead pastor. I can't believe I get to be a pastor of this amazing church. But it's not because of me. It's because of him. Oh my gosh, he's amazing. He is good. He is holy. He is powerful. He is what it's all about. So church, let's ask Jesus. Let's trust Jesus. And Laura will help us now to worship Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. Lord, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of the New Testament points to Jesus. Yet so often we as Christians now 2,000 years removed from him walking and living and dying and resurrecting, we for some reason want to point at ourselves. Lord, help us. Help us to recognize again that it's all about Jesus. That we would cease our striving to achieve the things that we already have. That we would stop our religious practices that we are putting our hope in. And may each and every one of us turn our eyes to Jesus, that we would recognize a relationship, an intimate, unique love relationship with Jesus is what it's about. Our hope of enjoying all of the things that we got at salvation is all found in a relationship with Jesus. So Lord, help us to spend that time Speaking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, just hanging out with Jesus, following Jesus, trusting Jesus, and giving Jesus all the praise. John chapter 15, one and following, 
Of course, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I have spoken to, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We have uh, some elders over here in the shade. If you would like some prayer this morning for anything, if you're struggling to commit or understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to come over. If you'd like prayer for healing or for anything else, please come on over and, uh, and give these guys something to pray about. Uh, I hear that the sandwiches are a little delayed in getting here, which we're going to eat. So that means we just get to spend more time hanging out. So uh, hang out for a bit. When the sandwiches do arrive, we'll enter through the front doors of the church into the into the and get our kind of go into a line there, get our sandwiches, and then you can go out and spread inside or outside to eat your sandwiches. Sultan, Elizabeth, we love you guys. All right, God bless you guys.